Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Revolution Recap. The Revs are coming off of the bittersweet 2-2 draw on the road at D.C. United. Teal Bunbury kept up his hot streak, and Carlos Heel bagged his second goal since March, putting the Revs two, up 2-0 two to early. However, a defensive breakdown right before the half and a red card to Wilfred Zahibo in the 63rd minute put the Revs on the back foot, and the lead disappeared in the closing minutes after Quincy Ameriqua volleyed a free kick by Matt Turner in the 86th minute. Despite blowing the two-goal lead, the Revs maintained the longest unbeaten streak in MLS at eight games and have not lost an MLS action in two months dating back to the Brad Fertile era. I'm Greg Johnstone. Joining me today is Sean Donahue. Good morning, Sean. How's it going? Man, I don't know if you saw the uh, the post game quotes, but the uh, Bruce Arena snark is back in, in full force with him. him uh, get, I don't know if you saw that quote where he got asked about Teal Bunbury um, and what else he was doing well other than scoring goals, and Bruce Arena said he walks on water. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, if if you've been a, a longtime follower of Bruce Arena, you you would know he's known for his post game snark, um, and sometimes it uh, is not the sometimes he's not the the nicest to media members after the game. So it's interesting to see that that. That's uh, back in full force now he's with the Revs. <laughs> yeah, and he also did not have uh, many nice things to say about D.C. United. I know there was an athletic article yesterday about how D.C. United really doesn't um, promote their history and their tradition. And uh, it kind of was almost an old man yells at cloud type rant because uh, he mentioned millennials in there. He had some very interesting comments about how D.C. really does not honor their tradition and stuff like that. It was really, really uh, interesting to see from Bruce kind of go at his, his old team. But, um, yeah, I mean – he doesn't hold back. Uh, well, a, a lot of people question. You get his thoughts. Yeah, a lot of people say the same thing about the the revs as far as, far as honoring their history um, and make similar points. The only difference being, of course, that DC United is one of the most successful clubs in MLS history, and the revs have not won an MLS Cup. Um, but I think a lot of those points do hold as far as you know. You don't you don't go to the revs stadium and see you know stuff about Taylor Twellman or Steve Rawlson or Clint Dempsey or Shawry Joseph really when you when you go to revs games either. Um, so I think it's a, a point that applies the team that Bruce Arena is at now just as much as DC with the notable difference being that DC has won lots of MLS Cups and the Revs have not. Well, I, I would also say I think there's a notable difference too where you know the Revs play share a stadium with the Patriots who have been extremely successful and do have all these banners. Um, you know, not to say that, not, not to make that excuse, but I would imagine if the Revs ever get a soccer specific stadium, um, you know, they would make a kind of ring of honor and they would have some, you know, banners or retired numbers or something to that effect. It might look a little bit out of place at a football stadium, which is essentially what they have. So I, I guess that's a second significant difference, but I agree. There is kind of parallels that the revolution really don't honor their history. And I think if you're a new fan of the revs, um, I think you'd be shocked with the kind of talent and how successful they were in the two thousands. Uh, you might not learn that until, you know, later on down the line, a casual, you know, Patriots fan or new England sports fan might not know, how close to success the revs were consistently um throughout the the 2000s but i digress Uh, i think that could be a a rant for another day even though we kind of touched on the major points there uh sean uh this 2-2 draw as i say pretty bittersweet um revs really really close to three points but uh, and very very close to winning three straight games on the road in the first time in like 11 years or something like that uh unfortunately it all kind of unraveled in the second half uh what, what was your key takeaway to this game 
Yeah, look, we're going to have a lot of questions about Eric Castillo later on in the show, so I'm going to skip over him and, and focus on the other fullback that we really didn't get any questions about. And I talked a little bit about it last week and kind of focused on how Andrew Farrell was pushing over and, and almost looked like a right back at times in the game last week. And I thought it was almost even more pronounced um, in this game, the amount of times that Andrew Farrell was really filling the role defensively um, and even sometimes offensively as a right back because Brandon By was pushed so far forward. Um, and, you know, again, we'll, we'll talk about Castillo later, so I don't, don't want to get into that now. But I, I think that's really hurting the Revs, um, the way that Brandon By is pushing forward so much. And I'm, I'm sure that's, you know, probably coming from Bruce Arena or something and, and their strategy. But I, I just don't think he offers enough in the attack to, to justify what they're sacrificing on defense by him doing that and how that's, you know, throwing off the entire defense. Um, I, I mentioned on Twitter last week how Brandon By among players that were uh, had played over a thousand minutes in MLS uh, was last in the league in passing accuracy. He didn't do himself any favors in this game with 60% passing accuracy. Um, and, you know, he, he got forward, earned a couple of corner kicks. But other than that, I don't think he did too much, too positive for the revolution. I still haven't really seen him put many good crosses into the box in the air. Um, and, you know, long term, I think the revolution really need to have another center back back there other than Andrew Farrell and push Andrew Farrell out to right back if they're going to be successful defensively. Uh, because, you you know, Brandon Bay is not a great one-on-one defender. Uh, and when he's constantly caught forward up like that and the revolution have to, to, to shift over like that, and I think that's what in part led to the the first goal that DC United scored was, you know, the Revs were caught short with, with guys in the box because Brandon Bay was so far forward. Forward. Farrell was so far over on the wings, and Ibaba had to push over to the right. Caicedo came back to help. Uh, Bunbury was just tracking back there, um, but Brandon Bay was nowhere to be found, and you know that's what that's what happened on that goal. And you know I think we're going to see more of that um, as the season progresses if the the Revolution don't figure out what to do over there. Um, and you know I just don't think Brandon Bay has been good enough as a fullback, and I think. You know, as we'll get to later, the fullbacks in general have been a, a really big problem for the Revolution that uh, maybe haven't been exposed as much as they should have been so far under Bruce Arena, and I don't think it's going to last that way. I think, you know, as the season progresses, that um, that weakness there is really going to come back to bite the Revs. Yeah, and I actually made a point to kind of look at this because you mentioned Farrell last week kind of trending over and, and taking taking some of the defensive responsibilities from by and uh, something I hadn't really noticed last week. But um, I, I paid attention and, uh, you know, that first goal, Areola is guarded by Farrell and by kind of sliding down kind of and kind of replacing Farrell kind of at that right center back role. And he's kind of in no man's land. We'll, we'll probably talk about that goal later. So I did notice that. Uh, I also noticed too, uh, looking at kind of these stats, he has six ball recoveries. Three of them were in the attacking half. He was four for four on tackles. All of them were at midfield or in the attacking half. He really doesn't have a lot of, uh, activity in terms of taking the ball away in the uh, defensive third or in the defensive half. He did have seven clearances, um, so he actually had a, a decent game. Six of them were in the box. Uh, five of them were headed clearances. Um, so I, I, I'm not really willing to write him off as a terrible right back or a huge liability. I, I think there are some things that he does well as a right back, but I, I think the point of having him there in that lineup is that he gets up and he contributes to the offense because Andrew Farrell clearly does need to help him at times. Um, and I don't know what he contributes offensively. You mentioned the 60% pass accuracy, um, you know, and, and that might be a bit of a weird stat because, you know, you might have a bunch of long passes, you know, compared to short passes. Well, uh, of his 33 passes, two of them were long, both of the, and, and he was over two on long passes. He was 20 for 31 on short passes. So that's still around that 60% um, or, or passes labeled as short, short to medium, I, I guess is kind of more of a fair classification. Um, and, you know, I think one of his games, you know, if we talk about Edgar Castillo, he can at least make a kind of a, a cross into the box through the air. Like we saw last week to, um, 
uh, Teal Bunbury. I don't know if we've seen Brandon Bay have a successful uh, cross through the air into the box. He does have that kind of low cross. He can beat a player one-on-one and kind of go to the baseline and kind of um, rip a cross through, through the box, and hopefully it finds someone, but it rarely does. So um, I, I imagine when they get the personnel uh, in to have two uh, decent center back spots, Andrew Fell moves back to the uh, right, because I, I don't know what Brandon Bay is contributing offensively that um, – makes up for the fact that Andrew Fell needs to kind of cover him a little bit defensively because there are I, I think Andrew Fell the Andrew Fell ran by experiment um, as we saw with the Areola goal I, I think that kind of costs him at times yeah and and all three you mentioned crosses again all three of Brandon Bias crosses in this game were blocked before they even made it into the box um, so you know I think one of them led to a corner kick uh, but but still, like you you got to find a way to you know you talk about beating a man and getting a cross, and in this game he didn't even do that. All of his crosses were, were blocked by the first defender um, outside of the box. So um, you know he's getting forward, but he's not really doing enough when he gets forward. Um, and I, you know I, again, I, I still think even when we saw him in midfield, he did a better job. Um, you know when he kind of didn't have those responsibilities defensively. But you know, is he the Revolution's best right midfielder? No. Um, is he the Revolution's best right back? No. Is he a good depth piece? Sure. But if he's going to be starting every game for the Revolution, I think you know they're going to have some problems there. Yeah, I, I think you know we're midway through his second season, and coming out of college at Western Michigan, he was an attacking player. He was a, kind of a winger player. So I think we're kind of learning that you know, a year and a half in really his best position is probably right mid. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, he's certainly an option right back. I just don't think going forward that Brandon by is a long-term solution. I don't think you're going to win an MLS cup with Brandon by starting 30 games at right back. Um, and not to say he's a, you know, he, he's not a competent right back or he can't play the position. Well, um, or, or, or I guess I should say he can't play the position. He, he can play right back and you're not going to get, you know, roasted every single time. Um, but I, I, I'm losing faith week in and week out because I, I think what they want him to be is kind of be an Edgar Castillo type where, you know, he, he has his flaws defensively, but he contributes to offense. But I don't know what he contributes to offense. He, he, if, if he was playing right mid, he'd be up there a little bit more. Uh, and you'd probably see a few more low crosses from him and, and maybe one or two connect. But when you put him in that right back spot, it seems like he, he's not able to contribute offensively enough. And defensively, he seems kind of lost at times. So. Anyway, um, I, I'm going to move on to my uh, key takeaway, and it was actually a stat that I, I think Taylor Twoman said on the broadcast yesterday. David Sibillion actually uh, asked me about this uh, over Twitter, uh, but Taylor Twoman said something like the Revs have uh, conceded 15 goals in the last 15 minutes of the game, and uh, Sean Sweeney of Boston Sports Journal I think had in his article yesterday that it was 16 uh, goals in the last 15 minutes. Uh, I didn't go back and do the math to make sure that number was right, so I'll take Sean's word for it. Uh, but uh, 16 goals in the last after, after the 75 minute mark. That's 42% of the the goals they've conceded this far uh, in the in the regular season. Um, and I, I think that kind of goes to the lack of depth along the back line. I know we've talked about this a ton in the past, but if you look at the subs available on the bench, Fagundes, Dewan Jones, uh, who's used as a, a right mid yesterday or right winger, uh, Scott Caldwell, Buchanan, Pania, Knight, and Renix. There's really no one along that back line outside of Jones that. Uh, there's no one on that bench outside of Jones that can come in and and help out that back line. If they had a center back available, you could, you know, maybe move uh, Farrell over to right back or uh, take out Edgar Castillo and move Farrell to left back or ride left back where he played last season. Um, The fact that they don't have a 
uh, another uh, piece on that that bench that can help out and kind of stabilize the defense in the, the end of the game. Uh, I think that it it kind of shows th- those results kind of show that um, you know there's really no reinforcements when they need them and when they need to park the bus like they do. Uh, it seems like the Revs are able to hold their own defensively for most of the game, but when they're really put on their back foot and they're really trying to hold lead, um, things kind of unravel and. I don't know. I, I I would not be shocked to see Bruce Arena. I think he talked about he he would be uh, he's looking at trades within MLS or he's looking at players within MLS. I would really not be shocked to see uh, Bruce Arena make a trade uh, in MLS to pull in a center back or an outside back for that point because we're talking about buying Castillo. Uh, even if it's just a someone to sit on the the bench and be in the 18. Uh, and come in in the 70th minute when you're up by a goal and need a little bit of stability. Because I think when this team is pushed against the wall, a back line of Brandon by Andrew Farrell, Annie Baba, and Edgar Castillo is not the defensive unit you want out there. No, I'm with you 100%. And it's a great point you made about the bench. If you you know look at a game like this, if one of the center backs goes down in this game, the Revolution are in huge trouble. I mean, imagine if it was Annie Baba that had gotten the red card instead of Zahibo. Um, there's really nobody else that can slip back there and, and, and play that role confidently. Um, with, you know, Dale Maley being suspended and, and Manciana, I guess he's returned to full training, but not available on the bench in this one. Um, there's there's no question the Revolution need more center back depth. There was no question at the start of the season the Revolution needed more center back depth. Um, there was no question over the past few years the Revolution needed more center back depth. Um, obviously, none of that is Bruce Arena's fault. Uh, but if they get to the end of this secondary window and they haven't brought in defensive depth, then it starts becoming partly Bruce Arena's fault. Um, and, you know, of course, at, at fullback, too, as we discussed, I think there just simply aren't enough options there either. Um, if you you, you know, bring in another center back or another two center backs and Farrell becomes, you know, mostly your right back, then um, it's a bit better. Uh, but I still think you probably need more defensive depth because, you know, Dewan Jones really is the only guy that can fill in at those fullback spots. Um, and again, he's another guy like Brandon by that was very much not a fullback in college. Um, and, you know, I'm sure he's, he's serviceable from what we've seen, but I'm still not sure that's really your best option either. Maybe it ends up being your best option, but um, you know, that's yet to be seen. Yeah. Um, and, and I know that Mike Lapper said in an interview with six days, one pod, he would bring in, if you could bring in anyone in the transfer window, it would be a striker and a center back. Um, I think Bruce arena has kind of hinted that, um, you know, they're looking to bring in a center back. Obviously there's the Thomas for Marlon rumors. Um, I think overall everyone knows that a center back is kind of needed here just from a starting lineup perspective. Um, and yeah, as you say, Mancian, I don't know what his timeline to come back is. I know he's a free agent at the end of the year. I'm sure that both the team and the player kind of opt to, you know, bring him back slowly. They don't want to risk further injury for him. Um, cause I, I can't imagine he resigns with the team. So I think out of, uh, decency, I think they're going to let him kind of have a slow recovery back. So yeah, when, when, uh, Annie Baba and De La Mayo, if one of them is suspended, as we saw today, or one of them goes out injured. Um, there's really no defensive options. And I guess Wolfers Hebo is your uh, emergency center back, but he's at defensive midfield in this game. So you have to kind of rearrange entirely. Um, yeah, it, it's the, the back line has been a mess since day one in Dallas when, when Mancien went down with that injury. Um, it's very, very thin and it's kind of showing over time. And, and as I say, I think there's a direct correlation between why the Revs concede so much in the final 15 um, and, and that back line. So um, moving on to happier topics, Sean, let, let's go to the offensive side of the ball. Teal Bunbury remains hot six goals in seven games, four goals in his last five MLS games. He scored here in the fourth minute with a really, really nice uh, low shot right past the hand of Bill Hamid. Um, sh- give me your, your thoughts on uh, Teal Bunbury. Uh, what, what can stop this guy? 
Yeah, I mean, I think the only person that can stop him right now is himself because, as we've discussed before, he's a very streaky player. Um, he's playing phenomenally right now. You know, you look at last year when he had that success at the early part of the season, and, you know, if you were to, to nickname him Tap and Teal back then, it probably would have been appropriate uh, with the goals that he was scoring. But the goals that he's been scoring under Bruce Arena have not been tap ins, they've been really high quality goals. Um, it was a good finish in this game. Um, you know, obviously some of his other goals he scored, especially those open cup goals were fantastic finishes. Um, it, it's, he really looks like a new player under Bruce arena. Um, and one that we haven't seen from him, you know, pretty much since he's been on the revolution. Um, and it's kind of fascinating to see the success coming more as a, a right wing, uh, than as a striker. Cause if you, you know, look at his career over the years, the, the vast majority of his success, including last year, um, has come with him playing striker. And to me, he's kind of like lost as a right wing, but under Bruce arena, um, I think his role has been a bit more defined. Um, I think you see a lot of times when the ball is over on the, the left flank that Bunbury pinches in a bit and almost looks more like a second striker. Um, and he's had a lot of success doing that. So, uh, you know, Bruce Arena has, has him playing really well. Um, whether or not that's sustainable, I think there's, you know, every reason to be skeptical just because of, you know, how streaky he's been over his career. And I think, you know, at, at some point, if the confidence goes and the goal scoring stops and people will, will turn on Bunbury again and, you know, you might we might see him on the bench. But again, for right now, maybe maybe Bruce Arena's figured it out and maybe he's going to be able to find a way to do this consistently. Um, I personally am still skeptical, uh, but he's playing phenomenally right now. There's no denying that. Yeah, I mean, we've come a long way from him, you know, uh, kind of being the butt of a lot of jokes and kicking the ball out of bounds for a throw. And, I mean, you look at that first goal, um, and first off, I want to say an amazing header by uh, Juan Fernando Caicedo. I know he takes a lot of crap, but um, he, he seems to have a really good instincts uh, and is, is really on the same page with a lot of the attacking players in terms of passing, and kind of quick passing and, and one-touch passing. So um, a really nice header to lead on Bunbury onto that goal. And then Teal Bunbury does a phenomenal job. Uh, kind of shaking off that defender. I mean, I, I think a lot of players would kind of go down or, or maybe try to draw a foul. Teal Bunbury just kind of fights him off. Uh, one more touch and then and fires a, a really unstoppable shot into the net. Um, and I, I'll also point out, too, that Teal Bunbury uh, had a really, really nice cross there uh, on the, the second goal um, to uh, Juan Agadello that led to the Carles Hill goal. So, um, yeah, Teal Bunbury... Totally on fire has come a long way. We kind of knew once he scored one, his uh, confidence would kind of rise and, and we'd see the, the player of old. Um, I, I'm not sure how long it lasts. I'm also not sure how long he's in the lineup, obviously, with the uh, revenue acquisition in uh, uh, Gustavo Bo. Uh, maybe Teal is the guy to come out under this scenario. So I'm curious to see if they kind of ride out Teal, see how long he can stay hot and then kind of swap him out quietly for Bo if he goes two, three games without a goal. But right now, there's really, really no stopping him, and it's good to see. I mean, I, I don't think there's anyone um, on this rest team that is, uh, I don't know, he, he overcame a lot of struggles and really likable guy. It's really, life is better when Teal Bunbury is scoring goals. So um, I'll also say to Teal Bunbury, uh, 50th goal last week, I don't think we mentioned that. He's uh, the 66th player in MLS to score 50 goals. So uh, a really impressive milestone that, um, you really don't think of Teal Bunbury as being in the top 66 players uh, in terms of the goal scoring list because there were some seasons where he was playing on the right wing and he wasn't the number one goal scoring option, uh, but he's really come on as of late in the last couple of years. And I think he's the 18th active player to hit 50 goals in MLS too, which is interesting as well. Um, but you know, you mentioned what's going to happen with Gustavo Bow, and I, after this game, I'm almost more leaning towards thinking that it could be Aguadelo. That could be that's the guy that goes to the bench. If I was to pick after this game, that would be the guy I would. 
uh, pick to go to the bench. And there's been some murmurings too that that Bo might be more comfortable on the left side. Um, so you know, just based on based on the last game and based on what we've seen so far, yeah, that wouldn't surprise me either if it ends up being Aguadelo. I mean, it still strikes me as a, a very attack minded lineup to have all those guys out there. Um, but you know, it's it's been working. So <laughs> who, who might have questioned it? <laughs> Yep, and we'll move on to the other goal scorer, uh, Carly Asil. Uh, his fifth goal on the season, he's uh, reclaimed the team lead in goals, uh, but it was only his second goal in the last 17 games. I know we've kind of talked uh, before that he's kind of become more of a uh, passer uh, in, in recent months uh, as opposed to that first month where he was really the only person that could score goals. Uh, so, uh, Sean, what were your thoughts on uh, Carly Asil's performance yesterday? It, it was a good game that was marred by a poor shot at the end where he really should have put the revolution back in the lead. Um, I thought, you know, Carles Gill, you know, as, as always, was consistent, uh, set up a few chances, scored, you know, finished off a what was you know a pretty easy goal for him. He got a rebound that he, that he finished off and, um, you know, he's, he's got to score that one 10 times out of 10. And he did. Um, but he did have that opportunity at the end where, you know, the revolution had a, a odd number breakaway where they had you know more guys going forward. Um, and a lot of guys were open and Edgar Castillo played a perfect ball uh, into Carles heel that set him up for, you know, what should have been a, a good shot. And instead, I believe he sent it you know, right at the keeper. Um, but, you know, again, it's, it's hard to say much negative about Carles Hill and his work rate. Um, but for a player of, of his caliber, you would have liked to have seen better on a, on a shot like that in clutch time to, to, you know, to give the revolution the, the win there. Um, you know, it's just, you know, you're, you're paying a guy as much as you're paying him and he's been as good as he has been, um, to hear that this was what, what second goal since, since when, <laughs> um, March. Yeah. Since going, this... yeah, going I, I, since, uh, the Cincinnati game, this was his second goal. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of surprising from a guy with his quality. Um, and you did see, you know, a, a situation where his finishing should have been better in this game. Um, but again, a high quality player creating chances, they, you know, kind of the engine for the revolution in midfield. Um, so it's, it's hard to be too negative. Uh, but he had the opportunity to win the game for the revolution. And he didn't. Yeah. And, and, uh, I will say, I mean, it was, it was still a good game. It still wasn't a, a bad game. If you look at who scored, he was actually the uh, game of player of the game, uh, with a 7.5 rating. I know who scores are, we, we reference who score ratings. They're not perfect. I, I probably would not give Carlos Gill, uh, the player of the game, uh, rating, but, um, I, I thought it was kind of a quiet game for him. Uh, you mentioned the play in the second half there when the revs are, I believe they were up two one at that time, trying to get in the insurance goal and Carlos Gill, uh, and Edgar Castillo were kind of passing it back and forth. It wasn't really as smooth as you would like it to be, and the defense kind of recovered there. Um, I will say he suffered four fouls. Uh, pretty, I mean, I, it takes uh, Ted Uncle, who blows the whistle every 30 seconds, for Carlos Gill to, to draw four fouls. He usually doesn't get the calls going. But um, if you look at the rest of his stats, he had uh, he was over three on tackles. He only had one interception. He did have five ball recoveries, but I think that's a little bit short for him. Uh, one for seven on crosses. Um Pass accuracy was 75%, so pretty decent. Uh, only had 37 passes. He's usually uh, in the, the game leaders in terms of passes, but obviously the Revs did not have a lot of possession in this game. Um, I, I think it was just kind of a game where the Revs kind of conceded possession and really weren't trying to hold the ball, and so we didn't really get to see Carlos Gil at his best. Uh, but still, that goal certainly was a game changer. And yeah, you, you hope he puts it in, but I will say he put that ball where no one could get to it. It was a really kind of professional finish uh in, in terms of the location of the ball and and we just i don't know you you have a lot of confidence that when carlos gill gets heel uh gets the uh ball he's going to uh finish his chances so even though it's only his second goal in a while um i i still think that he's playing at a all-star level uh, and i still think he's a pretty big snub so the, 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 yeah the only other thing i wanted to add on him is that i feel like his 
a couple of his set pieces in this game were were lacking a bit in, in sharpness as well. Um, that was one thing that kind of jumped out to me watching this game was that his set piece service wasn't as good as you would have liked to have seen it either. And let's move kind of further back into the defensive midfield. Sean, we complimented Wilfred Zahibo last week. So, of course, he gets red carded this game. Um, I actually have I'm going to come to Zahibo's defense because I don't think that second yellow was much of a it, it was a questionable foul. I think it was a really tough yellow to take. And I think it's an extremely tough second yellow to take. Um, is my assessment on that correct? You know, I, I agree with you, but at the same time, you, you have to be really careful when you're on a yellow card. And um, it was harsh, the second yellow, for sure. Um, but I'm kind of I'm kind of conflicted on that one because Hebo has been a guy that you've been wor- he's, he's always been a red card worry. Um, so to me, it's yes, it was harsh, but also you got to be a little bit more careful in that situation. Um, I'm still not sold that Wilfred Zahibo was the, the answer for the revolution back there. Um, I, I do think he had a decent game, maybe not as good as last week prior to that red card. Um, it is a harsh red card, uh, but, you know, a, again, you have to be on really good behavior when you're in that situation and you just got a yellow card 14 minutes prior. Yeah, and I mean, I, I don't know if he's a long-term piece the Revs will um, hold on to. I know that in the uh, waning days of the uh, Burns era, the international veteran signings they brought in, um, Claude Yelna, Gabriel Somi, a lot of them were on two-year contracts. I don't know what Wilfred Zahibo's, um contract looks like, uh, but if, if this is the last year of his contract, I wonder if they pick it up or if they try to go elsewhere to find someone else. I do think that uh, Bruce Arena values his size uh, and his strength in the defensive midfield because we've been seeing him kind of inserted into this lineup. Uh, and, and you know, for the first 60 minutes, I, I don't think he was terrible. 80% pass accuracy, one for two on tackles, um, three interceptions, four ball recoveries. Uh, he also had that if you look at the first goal, he kind of starts that goal where he kind of taps the ball back, a loose ball in midfield, taps it back to, uh, I believe it was Annie Baba who does a long pass, which sets up uh, the, the first goal. So, um, you know, I, I, I am a lot higher on Wilfred Zebo than most of his Revs tenure. I think that he's thrived under uh, Bruce Arena. Um, but yeah, this red card really puts a damper on things and kind of slows this momentum. And, um, I don't, I don't, you know, he only committed two fouls yesterday, so it wasn't really a persistent fouling thing. Ted uncle just thought that both of his fouls were severe enough for a yellow card. And, um, I I think that the, the foul that got him carded, I think that was more just of Ted uncle kind of giving everyone a yellow for, for whatever reason he he could find uh, as opposed to, it was a a really strict foul. Um, I I will agree with you though. You need to be a little bit smarter. It was in the midfield. It wasn't really like, yeah, it wasn't necessary defending. It wasn't uh, desperation. Um, He he went for a ball and he just missed. And um, I I don't think it was super egregious to get a second yellow, but um, it, it wasn't, a smart play. I mean, it's 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 one of those plays where if he's not in a yellow card, I don't think anyone's complaining too much about it being a yellow card. Um, and like you were saying, it was it was at midfield. It was a guy making a vertical run. Um, you know, DC United didn't have numbers for it. It wasn't really a dangerous chance. He was running into a place where there was you know, one other DC guy who was well covered. Um, you know, it, it was if you're gonna take a red card, that's not the situation to do it. And you know, yes, it was a lunge that was a bit late. Um, and you know, was it harsh? Sure. Could it be a yellow card? Yes. Um, you know, I, I don't think you can complain all that much about it and you know, being a yellow card. Um, and you know, the, the biggest thing to me is it was just completely unnecessary. And that's the type of play that, you know, over the couple, past couple of years, you've, you've seen a lot from Wilfred Zihibo. Um, 
so you know you you want to give him the benefit of the doubt and, and call it harsh but it was just needless in that situation and he put himself in a position where the referee could give him a second yellow card and and he got it um so uh, you know you know it, I, I want to excuse him but I, I think he does deserve some blame for that very fair very fair um we also have been praising Juan Agadello in recent weeks and you kind of hinted at this earlier that Juan Agadello has kind of slowed down a little bit um I think yesterday was his worst performance in weeks uh Sean I, I know you have some thoughts on that uh why don't you talk about uh, your thoughts on Juan Agadello Agade- in this game yeah I mean on that first goal you know I think Yara is the guy you want him to be tracking back to cover um and if you kind of look at the wide angle there he's slowly jogging back to try to get to him. I'm not sure he could have gotten to him, um, but I didn't think, you know, we've praised him a lot for his defensive effort under Bruce Arena. Um, and in this game, not just that play, I think he was noticeably absent um, on a lot of defensive plays uh, where, you know, Bunbury, a lot of times you saw him get back and, and cover for Brandon Bay. Um, I didn't see that much of Aguadelo covering for Edgar Castillo. I, th- I saw Edgar Castillo isolated a lot. Um, defensively when he was back there without that much help from from Juan Aguadelo. And I don't think that helped Edgar Castillo's case defensively. Um, but, you know, this was one of those games that it was more the Juan Aguadelo we were used to seeing under Brad Friedel um, that was, you know, perhaps getting criticized a bit by, by guys for his effort or for his, you know, defensive work rate. Um, and, you know, it just was a little bit of a disappointing game from him given what we'd seen recently um, under Bruce Arena and kind of his resurgence as a midfielder under Bruce Arena. Um, this this wasn't a particularly great performance from him. Um, and, and that's why, you know, going forward, I think if, if Bo was, was to come in and, and be ready to play on Wednesday, which I, I think if we see him on Wednesday, he'll be off the bench. Uh, but if he was to go to be ready to play on Wednesday, I, I would think that it would be Aguadelo that would lose his spot from this lineup. Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with you. And I wonder, too, if Juan Agadello's versatility at playing at striker, playing on both wings, kind of playing centrally, if that makes him more appealing as a candidate to kind of be relegated to the bench. Uh, and, and I'll also go a step further. And I know if you're a longtime listener of Revolution Recap, you know that I have been on the, if you're not going to play him, trade Diego Fagundes trade. And I, I think Diego Fagundes is... Um, probably the most valuable trade piece you have on the revs. And I know he came in yesterday in the closing minutes. He seems to just be uh, Carlos Heels backup at this point. He doesn't seem to have a spot in the uh, lineup anywhere, especially with Christian Pena moved to the bench. If Juan Agadello moves to the bench, um, you know, I'm not totally sure what Diego Fagundes' role is anymore. Uh, and I, I wonder if he's going to be moved for a center back or another piece or allocation money or something or some sort of asset. Um, Cause it doesn't seem like he is really in favor with this team anymore. Uh, so yeah, I think if Gustavo Bo comes in, um, I think they value Till Bunbury's ability to move back and forth between striker and uh, the wing and what he contributes defensively. Um, and you can't really say that about Juan Aguinaldo, the defensive part. So, um, yeah, I, I'm curious to see what they do when Bo comes in, where he where he comes in, who he replaces. Um, it'll be pretty interesting to uh, watch. Um, one other, th- A couple other things I want to mention uh, before we move on to uh, our thoughts on Gustavo Bo and uh, Twitter questions. Um, just a couple other uh, moments that I feel worth noting. Uh, Luis Castillo almost made it. I think it was two nothing at the time. Might have been three nothing. Casado. What did I say? He said Castillo. Oh, I'm, oh well, two well, that two was, yeah, two, uh, two is only one Castillo. <laughs> <laughs> Although Gustavo Bo posted on Instagram uh, a photo with him and the Casado. Uh, oh, now I'm, now I'm thinking I'm, I almost changed to Castillo. He posted him and the two Casados. So uh, I'm gonna I'm going to uh, petition that Gustavo Bo is an honorary Casado, and I'm going to call him Casado three. 
Uh, just going to throw that out there. I don't know if that's going to catch on. and probably will catch on just as well as Caicedo 2. I thought Panillo was Caicedo 3 already. <laughs> so it's going to be Caicedo 4. <laughs> oh, man. So many Caicedos. Uh, but anyway, Caicedo won. Luis Caicedo had a really nice chance in the first half uh, where he took a shot. It was deflected, and um, Bill Hamid was going the wrong way. He had to dive back, and with the left hand, kind of pulled it off of the line. Um, really, really, really good chance, kind of something out of nothing. Um, and I think I mentioned earlier, too, Wayne Rooney had a miss within the six-yard box where he was between Farrell and Baba. A low cross found him, and he blasted it over the bar. Um, and then um, what was the other thing I was going to bring up? Well, I forget. We'll probably get into it at Twitter questions, but those are two really key moments in the game that I, I we really didn't get to uh, 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 get into that I thought were uh, pretty critical moments. So, um, Sean, uh, Gustavo Bo signing, we talked about it last week, but last week we were under the impression that the transfer fee was uh, $4.5 million and the total package was going to be around $10 million. Numbers were a little bit higher than that. Gustavo Bo signs for uh, about a $12 million package, all in, 6 to $7 million transfer fee. Uh, and there are also reports too that I think it was Frank Delap at the Boston Globe said that the uh, total package is 16 million with incentives. So 12 million could go up to 16 million um, with incentives. Um, I, I know we kind of talked about Bo a little bit last week, so we don't want to rehash that entire conversation. But uh, now that we know the price tag associated, what's your grade for this move? I mean, when you think about MLS and, and structuring and everything, a, a DP is a DP no matter how much you're spending on them. Um, so, you know, Kraft seems to be willing to open the pocketbook more. And, you know, maybe it's a bit higher of a transfer fee than I would have thought he would go for. But at the end of the day, if, you know, it, it's money coming out of Kraft's pocket that's not impacting the Revs' ability to do more changes under the salary cap if Kraft is willing to spend more. Um, so I, I still give this move, a, you know, an A-. minus. Um, I think he's a fantastic player from what we've seen. He's going to be a guy that adds a lot to the revolution. And even if the fee is, you know, slightly higher than than maybe I would have thought for a, a guy his age and a you know guy that um, ha- has been very successful recently, but maybe less successful goal scoring wise earlier in his career. Um, you know, it's, it seems like a great move for the revolution and, and really addresses you know one of the the critical needs on this team. Yeah, I, I think if you're just looking at this from a how good of a move is it from a on-field standpoint, it's an A or an A+, plus if you want to give an A+. Plus. Um, I, I think it's a home run in terms of what they need, in terms of um, – you know, a fit in terms of this in this squad, um, what he's going to bring, uh, and obviously the skill. I mean, if you look at his highlight tape, he can score from anywhere within the box. Um, I do think that the transfer fee is pretty high, six to seven million. I think they said on Extra Time Radio that would make it a top fifteen signing in terms of uh, a transfer fee in MLS, and this is clearly the biggest transfer fee in uh, Revs history. I, I think what Carlos Hill was what two million, so this is three times that. Uh, just to kind of raise the expectations that, you know, he's he's coming in, he's going to really to get the value you want to get more than what Carlos Hill is bringing uh, to this team. Uh, so and that's a lot of money for a 29 year old. Um, you know, I, I didn't see any updated reports on length of the contract this week. I know last week there were some reports that it was a four year contract or maybe we were kind of speculating a three year contract with an option for a fourth or something to that effect. So, you know, we're getting a guy in his prime. We're expecting him to make an immediate impact. Um, I think we'll know at the end of this year whether or not we're going to reduce this grade. I- I'm going to give it a B plus um, just because it does. It is a necessary signing, uh, and 
you know, it's it's about time the 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 crafts open the pocketbook. I just do think this is a lot of money for a 29 year old. And just to give a little context, we were thinking it was 4.5 million last week, and that to me sounded about right. You know, if this transfer fee is seven million, uh, I mean, that the difference between what we knew last week and this week is around the transfer fee of of Carlos Hill. So, uh, you know, if they go out and they they're looking at a third uh, designated player, um, you know. I, I, maybe the increase in that transfer, you know, that's essentially the fee for a second designated player. Or if you're looking at Thomas for Marlin, you know, that's what his salary might be. Uh, uh, so I, I wonder if there is a lack of resources in going after a third designated player. Um, I don't know how much more the crafts will open the pocketbook um, for a third designated player. Um, but I mean, this is around what was being offered for Mapoku, and I certainly have a lot more faith that Gustavo Bo will uh, perform better than Mapoku would have uh, performed. So uh, I, I really can't complain, but there are just a few things about the age, uh, and, and as I say, a little bit higher than I would have liked, but overall, I think this is a major win for the revolution. Yeah, and you, you mentioned Thomas Vermillion. It's funny, I just... Uh... They actually have they're taking odds on Vermilion's next club. Um, these are odds as of yesterday from from Skybet, and I know you like your odds, so I sure do. <laughs> AS Roma is the favorite at two to one, followed by any MLS club at five to two odds, um, and apparently Ooh. Leeds United is in at third, five to one, and then Chinese Super League six to one, Arsenal eight to one, Club Brugge nine to one. So moving back to Belgium, Ajax twelve to one. Um, so interesting that that's what the odd makers are saying. Uh, but the other note there is there's a lot of rumors this morning that um, a Qatari club, which was not on this odds list, um, has made him a very lucrative offer. And there's possibly an, even an agreement, a verbal agreement in principle for him to go to Qatar. Um, so just interesting, interesting updates on uh, the Thomas Vermillion saga. Um, but it does sound like at least uh, the, the odds makers think there's a decent chance of him coming at MLS. Yeah, and I think I saw somewhere his salary last season was $3.5 million. And, I mean, just doing the math on this uh, Gustavo Bo signing, you know, if the total package for him is $12 million over four years, and, you know, even if it's $6 million in salary over four years, it's about $1.5 million in salary. Uh, so there's a good chance that if they were to bring in Thomas from Ireland, you know, that's – he probably would be the highest – you know, if he's looking at a salary of what he got last year um, – he probably would be the highest paid uh, player on the revs. I mean, I'm sure he would demand a high salary, especially if you have Chinese and Qatari teams that are that are willing to throw money, you know, nonsensically players. Um, I mean, he's going to raise that that price up. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm still not hopeful that he's coming in, but interesting to hear the odds that uh, it's a, a plus two fifty for any MLS team, and you have to assume that New England is at the top of any MLS team. Um, I don't know how many other teams are linked to him, but I think the Revs are probably leading that charge. So that kind of, I don't know, that's actually pretty, I don't know, that that kind of changes things for me. There's someone someone in the betting markets know something that I don't. So Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, surpri- I'm surprised by that odd, but I, those odds, but I, I still don't see it happening. I, I do not either. Um, let's move on to some listener questions. Um, and uh, Sean, I know that uh, you're not on this at all, but uh, this week there was a... Um, Discord, I guess, is the website. I'm I'm 30 years old. I don't know what any of this stuff is, but I guess it's a website typically used for gamers. It's essentially a chat room. Uh, I was invited to it this week, and you know me, Sean. You know my social life. If I'm invited to anything, it's a rarity, <laughs> and I got to join. So uh, I joined in, and uh, if you're any any Revs fan or not on it, 
Um, you know, I, I recommend you check it out. We do Twitter. Well, I guess they're not Twitter questions, but we're doing listener questions on there also. Uh, they kind of do chats during the games uh, and throughout the weeks about the revs. So if you're ever uh, lacking some revs talk, I suggest you check it out. But anyway, we got a lot of listener questions from both Twitter and Discord this week. And a lot of them are revolved around Edgar Castillo, who we intentionally left out of uh, the first part of our show because we're going to talk about it so much here. Uh, I'm just going to rapid fire all the questions we got and we can answer this all at once. You ready, Sean? Uh, Cameron Young says, should that game be the end of Edgar Castillo's run as a starter? He was horrible most of the game, but Jones showed positive signs off the bench. Uh, Mohamed Hussain, Jones in for Castillo. Uh, Cambo six, why is Edgar Castillo continuing to get starts at left back, even though Dewan Jones has proved he can play better at left back? David B, why are we not seeing more Jones at left back? Uh, Teal is the GOAT, says, is Castillo worse than Somi? Uh, and Zachary Grimes says, has Castillo's confidence, why has Castillo's confidence dropped so much? So a lot of questions about Castillo's role on the team. Um, let's start there. Sean, why is Edgar Castillo still starting? Well, I'm going to start with the, the worst question on that list. And <laughs> is, is Castillo worse than Somi? And that one I'm going to say no to. Uh, but <laughs> but well, I wouldn't call it the, I would not call it the worst question on the list. I mean, the, I, the I, most I offensive one towards Castillo. I think it's a what? fair question, but I'm, I'm saying the worst in the way of the most offensive towards Castillo's skill level is to ask <laughs> no. if he's worse. And so that's what I mean by the by the worst. And for that one, I'm going you, to you go with the no. meanest. You mean meanest, the meanest? Yes, question. the meanest question. Okay. I should say. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a very that, that's an important classification yeah, yeah. there, Sean. But no, fair uh, fair enough because Somi provides absolutely nothing from what we saw from him. Whereas Castillo at least is good for a couple good crosses of the game and should have had the game winning assist in this game if if Carles heel had, had finished off that chance. Um, everyone, pretty much everyone you could see on the any refs hashtag, even the people that were not asking these questions, uh, said a lot of negative things about Edgar Castillo during this game. Um, Julian Cardillo even tweeted out, I think that Edgar Castillo was one of two players that caused an error that cost the refs this game. The other one being Zahibo. Um, first of all, I want to start off by saying, I don't think Edgar Castillo cost the revolution anything in this game. Um, I really don't agree with the assessment that he was at fault for that first goal. I talked a little bit about it, but the entire Revolution defense was pushed over to try to cover for for Brandon by being out of position, um, and that left Edgar Castillo to to push over. He was covering a man. There was a late run into the box. None of the midfielders picked it up. If you want to say Castillo should have you know shouted out to one of the midfielders to pick it up, and it kind of looked like he did to me. Um, but that to me is a bit of a stretch to blame him for that. Uh, Juan Agudelo again was slow to track back. Wilfred Zahibo was covering air. Uh, Luis Caicedo on the other side of the field was covering air. Um, there were a lot of guys covering nobody. Castillo was actually marking somebody in perhaps the most dangerous position on the field. Um, and, you know, I, I can't blame him for not going and tracking the late runner into the box when he had a guy there. That one, I, that just is confusing to me how you could blame Edgar Castillo for that goal. With that said, did Edgar Castillo have a good game? No. Um, you know, Paul Ariola had a lot of joy against him running at him. Um, I do think that, you know, Juan Agodelo didn't do enough to help him. I do think that the Revolution defense was stretched to the right because of Brandon Bay being pushed forward so often. But, um, you know, if I look at this game from Eric Castillo, did he do anything so egregiously wrong that was different than what he's been doing all season long? No, I think it was an average game from Eric Castillo by, by the standards that he's, he's set for this year, which, again, aren't good enough. Um, but I was just kind of shocked by the, the level of 
uh, negativity towards him, particularly after this game, given I don't think he performed any you know worse than he had been in, in previous games for the Revolution. Um, and with that said, if you know if if Bruce Arena hadn't seen enough before this game to start Dewan Jones ever, ever ever over Edgar Castillo, I'm not sure what would have changed in this game because I I, I think Edgar Castillo performed just as well or just as bad as he had been performing over the the past few games. Uh, we know he's not a great one-on-one defender from what we've seen in the season, and we know he can offer some things going forward, and I think he, you know, both of those things proved true in this game, and I don't think anything he did were the reasons the Revolution, you know, dropped points in this game. Um, there were one or two Areola chances that, um, you know, Matt Turner came up big on that maybe he was involved in the Wayne Rooney shot that, um, you know, I don't think we really talked about that, but Wayne Rooney had a you know, point blank range shot uh, that he missed. And I think Taylor Twelman kind of said Andrew Farrell threw him off by swinging and whiffing at the ball. Um, but that was a chance that was created by Ariola that you could put some blame on Eric Castillo for. But that also looked kind of like a miscommunication in the defense because it was Annie Baba marking Ariola, who then made a good run in between the two of those players and, and got free that way. Um, some of the blame certainly falls on Castillo there. But it, it, it's just for me, I don't know what I missed, but I was just surprised to see this level of, you know, anger and disappointment towards Castillo's play um, when I, I didn't think he was particularly worse than he had been all season long, which, you know, once again, hasn't been good enough. <laughs> yeah, I, I I agree with a lot of your assessment there. And I think a lot of people are ready to blame Castillo and kind of jump on him because um, they do expect poor defensive performances from him. Um, and if you look at, I mean, Edgar Castillo was brought in as an offensive piece. They are willing to sacrifice defense for offense. And in the terms of Somi, I think that's what, what Bradfield tried to do last year. Somi was kind of this guy that they wanted to bring in. He was quick down the wings. He was going to cross into the middle. And Edgar Castillo, I think, has shown us a lot more in terms of uh, crossing. Edgar Castillo has, what, three assists? Um, and I, I don't think Somi had a single one last season in his half season where he was performing. Somi... I know we were very nice to him, and I, I don't think the Revs were right into holding him hostage like they did. Um, but Somi really did not add a lot to the Revs, and really there was no justification outside of he's very fast that I could see to why he stayed in the lineup. Whereas Edgar Castillo, I can say, you know, he's very good at pressing. He's very good at moving up. Yesterday, Edgar Castillo had seven ball recoveries, um, three of them in the offensive half. One of them was a really nice play where he steals the ball off of a, a Bill Hamid is throwing the ball to a either, I think it was Jara or Areola, and Castillo was able to step up, uh, take the ball away, and draw a foul. Um, he, he does that where he's he can intercept the ball in the attacking half or in the middle third of the field. Um, and, yeah, we've, and we've seen Somi, that a lot this season. Yeah, Somi has not done that. That's what Edgar Castillo brings. The trade-off is that he is not an amazing defender. And he's not a good defender. And he's probably not an average defender. And you're right. Bruce Arena sees the same thing at Brad Friedel where he says, I will exchange um, <laughs> I will exchange uh, uh, having a, a rock-solid left back for a guy that can go up and push up and help out on that left wing, help out Christian Pena or Juan Agadello or Diego Fagundes or whoever's playing left wing and, and kind of add that extra dimension where it's a left back that can push up, be a wing back, and cross into the box. Um I agree with your assessment that Castillo was not uh, – and this is going to enrage people because they're going to say, yeah, Castillo was just as bad yesterday as he was when, you know, throughout the rest of the season. That That's kind of the point that it's kind of infuriating to see the Rebs blow a two-goal lead and Edgar Castillo is is back there and you're, you're parking the bus and you have a guy that really doesn't contribute a lot defensively along your back line. Um, 
I, I agree. That's very, very frustrating. But as you say, if Bruce Arena is keeping Edgar Castillo in the lineup, I don't see what would change here because this is the trade-off that he's accepted. And this is the trade-off that, you know, they, they, they know. They know this is what's going on. Um, you know, it's not like Edgar Castillo is performing below expectations. This is what we kind of came to expect from him. Um, I will say, too, that if you look at his stats, he had about 74% passing. You compare that to Brandon Buys, 60%. I, I think that's uh, worth noting. And he also had a lot more passes in the attacking third. He was 8 for 12 in the attacking third. Um, he was 2 for 3 on take-ons. I will say there was a couple of plays that I noticed that I, I didn't think he played particularly well. 68th minute, he tries to head the ball back to Matt Turner. He heads it out for a corner kick. I think that was an eye-roll moment. Uh, and then Edgar Castillo also made a tackle on Paul Areola. Um, and and it looks like he slides to kind of kick the ball to, I guess it was Annie Baba, but he kind of just kicks it to the center. And luckily there was no DC United player there because that could have been that could have been utter disaster. Instead of clearing the ball to the, the sideline, he kicks it towards the center. Um, so there were some moments that Edgar Castillo, I think, kind of played a little, I don't know, uh, not bright moments. But um, yeah, I, I agree with your assessment. I'm not sure... I, I don't think this is leading to a change. Um, and certainly, you know, when the Revs are down a man and Castillo has to guard pa- Paul Areola one-on-one, um, it, it's shaky moments. But again, that gets back to not having a lot of depth on the bench. Uh, and Dewan Jones, it was interesting too. I mean, a lot of people are saying, why not move Dewan Jones to left back? Um, and here, you know, they moved Dewan Jones. They put him in at uh, right wing. Uh, and that was right before the Zahibo red card. I wonder if they would have put him in at left back um, or, or if they would have used him as a defensive sub as opposed to putting him on the wing and taking out um, uh, Juan Fernando Caicedo. Um, but I, I think the fact that they put Dewan Jones at right wing, that might tip that, that kind of signals to me that they might view him as a guy they want playing offense and not necessarily defense. The one thing I'm going to say here, and it's, it's going to be, I think, a very unpopular opinion, is if you were to replace Edgar Castillo in the situations that he's been put in by both Brad Friedel and Bruce Arena, given you know what I said earlier about you know how the defense is playing with Brandon Bay, um, with Chris Tierney, uh, you know Chris Tierney as of you know four or five years ago, I think you get the same results, and I think people would be just as annoyed. You know the revolution of his history of, of guys that you know recently that aren't the best defensive left backs, um, and. Again, you know, I, I gave Scott Caldwell a lot of credit over the years for him stepping back and helping out the Revolution's poor defensive left backs. Um, and Edgar Castillo hasn't been getting that help. Uh, it, you know, again, like like you said, Greg, you're sacrificing defense with him um, to hopefully get something on offense. Uh, but, you know, he hasn't had the help defensively uh, to cover for him when a guy like Paul Areola is one-on-one and, and beats him. The help just hasn't been there. As I, as I said before, when he was with the Rapids, he played a lot of wing back. There was, you know, three man, three central defenders back there to help out. Um, and he had a lot of success, mostly as a wing back in Colorado, more than as a fullback, um, which, you know, somewhat helps uh, avoid exposing those defensive, uh, lack, the lack of defensive skills there. Um, but I, I just think he's been put in a position where, given his skill set, uh, he's been kind of set up to defensively look bad and. You know that's what's been happening, and and that's a problem. And maybe that means if they're going to keep playing the system, he needs to be replaced. Um, but I think on the other side of the field, the Revolution have done a lot to cover for Brandon Bay's defensive inefficiencies that Edgar Castillo hasn't benefited from, and that if anything left him more exposed. I, I was going to say when Brandon Bay pushes up, Andrew Farrell and Luis Caicedo are kind of back there. Um, it looks like when Edgar Castillo goes up, Wilfred Zebo is back there, but he's not. 
you know, Andy Baba doesn't push over left like Andrew Farrell pushes over right. Well, again, um, just, and, just and look so, at and that so first goal. Wide vaths of, of space behind Edgar Castillo, and, and that's just a, a downfall of the system that they're playing. Yeah, just look at that first goal. You got Farrell, you got Caicedo, you got Bunbury, you got all those guys covering for Brandon By. When have you really seen that for Edgar Castillo when he's in a one on one situation? You know, when have you really seen Zahibo really going over and slotting into kind of that, that left back spot to cover for him? It just doesn't really happen. Yeah, uh, I, I, meant, I, I also want to point out too that second goal. We talk about the defense uh, breakdown on the first half, which I, I think was really across the board bad. Um, and as you say, Brandon By is Farrell is guarding the line. Brandon By is kind of guarding there, and Andy Bob has got a guy. Edgar Castillo has a guy, and then uh, Jara just kind of slips in. No one kind of notices him. Uh, so it, it's kind of a systematic breakdown all the way around. You tweeted out a photo of that free kick, uh, <laughs> the second goal. That was also kind of a system breakdown where there's five DC United players on the left side and there's two two guys guarding them. Um, I, I hope there is not uh, uh, the free kick troubles that we had last year uh, because that certainly seemed like a really unorganized defense, really on both goals. Yeah, on that second goal, Annie Baba blew the offside trap. Um, but, you know, looking at that photo, even if he doesn't, you know, there's five guys where Ameriqua was for DC United and there's, you know, one or two revolution players in the vicinity. Um, so I'm not I'm not sure even if Annie Baba, you know, or even if Ameriqua times that run and Annie Baba, you know, doesn't blow that offside trap that the same result doesn't happen. Um, but, yeah, I. I We've seen it, you know, throughout the season, and even under Bruce Arena, I still don't think they've they've solved the set piece problems. Um, and this one, to me, almost a little bit looks like a coaching issue. Um, and again, Bruce Arena hasn't been in charge long enough to really fix this. But when you have guys lined up like that, where there's you know five or six Revolution players covering three guys on the right side of the box, and there's two Revolution players covering five guys on the left side of the box, uh, I don't really get what the logic is there. No, agree completely. Uh, and just to kind of put a bow on those uh, Castillo questions, there was one from Zach Grimes about uh, why has Castillo's confidence dropped? I, I don't even think it's a matter of confidence. Uh, and I don't know if you agree. I, I just think this is his, this is him. This is, you know, we, we're getting what we paid for. And this is an offensive wingback player. And yeah, not to rehash everything, but I, I don't know if it's really a confidence issue. Because just last week against Colorado, we were, you know, he looked amazing. So, um, Moving on to uh, another poor, another defending question that I think we've we've really touched on so far. But Randy LH says uh, feels like we drop points thanks to poor defending. What do you think the back line will look like next game? Um, next game, uh, De La Mea comes back, so he'll be available. Uh, Sean, do you see any changes in that back four? I mean, I think De La Mea goes right back in there. Um, the question for me is whether he goes in there for Andy Baba or whether he goes in there for Brandon Bay and Andrew Farrell moves to right back. If it was you know me making the decision, I would put De La Mea in there for Brandon Bay and move Andrew Farrell to, to right back. Um, I would consider putting in Dewan Jones for Edgar Castillo. I, you know, part of it too is that Edgar, this is it's a short turnaround. Edgar Castillo is up there in age. Um, he hasn't been amazing. Um, so on short rest, uh, you know, why not do it, especially if you're going to get more defensively by putting Andrew Farrell right back. Um, that's how I would play it. Um, if I'm a, a betting man, I'm not very confident and I, you know, probably go towards just saying De La Maya swaps in for Andy Baba and otherwise we see the same defense. Um, but again, it wouldn't surprise me if there's more changes than that. And if it was me, there would be more changes than that. I will kind of disagree with you here. I, I mean, I, I think what will happen is 
what you just said, Delamay is going to go in for any Baba. I, I think maybe Dewan Jones plays for Brandon Bai. I am curious to see if they want to put him on the right side a little bit and see how well he does there. Um, I don't think Edgar Castillo is coming out of the lineup. Um, I, I think for the most part we're going to see the same four outside of Delamay back in for any Baba, and that's really more of a rest issue than anything else. Um, the next opponent you, you mentioned it's on short rest. It's at home against Vancouver on Wednesday. Um, I think this is a game the Revs should win, and I think this is a game they're going to look uh, uh, to score some goals and kind of put their best offensive players out there. So I think Edgar Castillo is starting. Um, I, I I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of changes uh, across the board. And I think they're going to want one center back on the bench. Uh, so I don't think this will be an issue where they put Delamaya in for Farrell and move Farrell out to right back because I think then they're a little bit short at center back on the bench. They have, they would have By and Jones there. Uh, I think they'll probably have one outside back and one center back on the bench uh, and kind of go with a – offensive high-flying uh, uh, unit because I think they're going to be looking to score multiple goals in this game. Um, Teal Bunbury is the best striker, says. Over under five games started for the remainder of the season for Wilfred Zahibo. Over. I mean, there, there's 14 games left, and if there's one thing that has been very noticeable, it's that, uh, you know, for Bruce Arena's tenure is that he doesn't rate Scott Caldwell very highly. Um, I don't really expect them to sign someone in this window to address that position. If they do, that obviously changes the math. Um, but right now, I would say over 14 games left. I, I think that, you know, Zahibo starts at least seven of them. Yeah, and we... This is a question about Wilfred Zahibo, but I think this is also a question about Scott Caldwell. Scott Caldwell came in yesterday after the um, red card. He came in at the 78th minute. There was a 15-minute gap between when Wilfred Zahibo went off and when Scott Caldwell came on. And before this game, he had two appearances with the Revs in MLS um, under Bruce Arena for a total of four minutes. Uh, so clearly Arena values Zahibo more than Caldwell uh, by a vast amount, I think. Arena really values his size and strength there to be kind of that anchor of the defense. And I know he's not a fan favorite in New England, but uh, I, I think so. He's going to get he's missing the next game. So there's 13 games left. Maybe there's going to be one or two. He's cycled out um, uh, for, for rest issues or maybe there's another yellow red card suspension or something like that. Um, but outside of injury, uh, I think Wilfred Zahibo, we're going to see him. It's going to be eight, nine games. Uh, that's kind of my guess. Um, Paulo S says, does DC seem to always get calls in, in their favor and not just versus uh, New England? Um, I actually thought the refereeing was atrocious, um, throughout the game. Uh, I tweeted out yesterday at one point, the refs had seven fouls and five yellow cards. And I think a lot of refs fans seemed upset about it. Um, but in the first half, you could tell DC fans were not happy with the officiating, um, and calls going against their way. Um, I, 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 I don't know if there's a bigger MLS conspiracy. I, I just think it was a poor refereeing performance from Ted uncle. And I'm, I'm kind of sad Jake isn't here to give us his thoughts, but I, I thought Ted uncle was atrocious yesterday. Yeah. And I think we touched upon it too, is Aguadello could have been called for a penalty kick foul um, to, to give DC a penalty uh, that the revolution got away with. But I, I agree. I thought it was overall a bad performance. Um, you know, the, the Zahibo red card questionable, but the more I watch it, the more I can sort of justify it. Um, but just overall, yeah, poor performance that he was, you know, too quick to pull out yellow cards in certain situations and in other situations where it looked like it was a yellow card, he didn't pull it out. Um, but I don't think it was any sort of conspiracy against the revolution. I think there were bad calls both ways, uh, that, you know, <laughs> you, I wouldn't say necessarily evened out. Um, but I, I didn't particularly see him, you know, favoring one team over the other with his bad calls. I meant to bring up earlier where he's got a handful of jersey and he's bringing down, uh, I think it was brilliant. Um, uh, there was also a play there too in the six yard box in the second half. I think Dewan Jones was up there and it looks like yes. he, he 
he takes the ball from someone. It looks like he gets kind of pushed from behind and the goalie kind of collects it. Like he, he can't really get a shot on goal, but I mean, it happened so fast and there was really no discussion after that. Looked like a foul. Um, I, I was waiting was no for a replay. After. I don't think I ever saw it. <laughs> I, 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 I kind of was waiting for them to go back to it. And I was like, I think I didn't see anything. And then I, guess I, I saw one or two people on, on Twitter say that was an absolute foul. Uh, it, I, I, I actually didn't go back and look at it. I meant to, to do that. Um, but that was another thing that I think was worth bringing up that there was just no second thought to that play whatsoever. That would have been, that would be at three, one revs if uh, he, uh, he'll converts the penalty kick. So um, yeah, uh, really, really poor refereeing. Um, and Paulo S asked another question and I'm going to walk on eggshells here, Sean, and I'm going to give the backstory here to this one in a second, but Paulo asked, uh, asked us, um, why was Sean so against New England signing Quincy when he was available? Can't score against you if he's on your team for context. Uh, you guys had a bit of a Twitter argument last year where, uh, Quincy was traded to Montreal mid season. Uh, and he said that that was a big miss for the Revs, and you essentially disagreed. You said that that was not a big of a miss. Um, so I'll, I'll say this. Uh, do you, with the uh, Ameriqua scoring against the Revs yesterday, uh, do you have any regrets about uh, advocating the Revs not going out and getting Ameriqua? So be- before I, got, I answer that question, I'm going to ask you a question. If, okay. if, if you, in August of last year with the Revs in their slump, uh, became aware that a guy was on the trading block, 30-year-old guy, making $300,000 in the contract, expired at the end of the year, hadn't scored a goal in over two seasons, um, had played 213 games and had, you know, 200 something games and had 25 career goals. Um, is that a guy you're interested in going out and making a trade and trading assets for to, to rent for, you know, three months and what was already a lost season for the revolution? Or even if it wasn't a lost season for the revolution, is that a guy you think could help turn the season around at $300,000? <laughs> not, not particularly. It's a little pricey for my my tastes yeah so that was the context for my initially being against the revolution signing quincy ameriqua now dc united went out and signed him as a depth piece at seventy thousand dollars a year as a free agent um speaking of the quality of quincy ameriqua he was a free agent up until march 1st so he was a free agent the entire offseason and nobody really showed much interest in until dc united signed him at the very last minute um and this was his first goal of the season. So this is a guy that now has scored two goals in the last four years. Um, not really much of a miss for the Revolution. I think the Revolution have plenty of guys in their roster capable of scoring two goals over four years. So, yeah, it, it hurts when a guy like that scores a goal against you. I'm not sure the Revolution were ever really in play for signing him. Um, when that trade went down between Montreal and San Jose, it was really a kind of a Montreal, we have Dominic Odoro, who's making $330,000 a year and not scoring. San Jose, we have Quincy Ameriqua, who's making $300,000 a year and not scoring. Let's swap them and see if uh, it works out for either team. Um, it worked out slightly better for Montreal because Ameriqua scored one goal for them and Dominic Odoro scored zero goals for San Jose. Um, but... Yeah, I don't think that's a miss for the revolution, and I, I am not changing my view on that one. <laughs> so I, I think, too, there's a little bit of additional context here, which is that in the initial conversation you had last year, your a big part was the salary. I think signing Ameriqua for $70,000 is good value. Uh, and I know he is a bench piece, but that is a a reserve player's salary. You, I mean, that is the, the league minimum is fifty six five hundred. So it's not really a bad signing on DC United's part, no. and maybe that that. Uh, so I, I I think what he's he's uh, uh, appealing to, he it, there is some talent here, and to bring in a guy off the bench like this 
there is some skill there. And, and a lot of the, the issue too, is that he, you know, you mentioned he hasn't scored a lot, you know, he, he has had injury problems. Um, he hasn't, you know, been healthy. Um, it, if you, uh, so I, I get both sides here. He's saying that America is, is talented. This is a guy that scored, uh, I guess his best season was eight goals with the Chicago fire, uh, which really is not amazing numbers off the bat, uh, off the bat. And that was in 2014. Uh, he scored six in 2015 and 17 games with San Jose. He scored three in 22 games started in 2016. Um, so the numbers really in recent years aren't, that amazing uh, in MLS. He scored two goals since 2017. So, um, and, and uh, Montreal, you know, they acquired him. I, I meant to look up what they acquired him for. I can't imagine it was much. It looks like it was mostly a salary dump. I think yeah, it, was, it was Odoro. So it was like a straight swap of two strikers that were both making similar salaries. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, he scored one goal in 644 minutes. He had 19 shots. He had seven games started. So even last year from Montreal's perspective, he, he wasn't totally productive. That being said, I think America is a talented player. I think he is a good bench piece if you can sign him for five figures as opposed to six figures. So I, I get both sides of the argument here. And I, I think it's unfortunate that uh, for you that he scores against the refs because it kind of highlights it a lot. But uh, but if you look at how DC is using him, uh, he's 13 games played. He only has one game started and he has 143 minutes. So he's coming on late in games. He's the guy they're putting in the 18 uh, and, and, and trying to get that miracle goal that we saw yesterday because he he does have skill he can redirect that you know free kick like that and, and tap it in um he, he does have a finisher's touch he just hasn't been scoring in recent years so i, I understand your hesitation to sign him uh, and i will also say that uh, he also holds one of the greatest goals in mls history with that ridiculous chip goal from uh, midfield if you haven't seen it go to youtube right now pause this go to youtube <laughs> look it up it's an amazing goal there, there, there's no denying that uh, but yeah, I, I completely agree that if you, you have, are signing a guy like Quincy Ameriquois to be a depth piece for $70,000, it's a completely different equation than trading something for him to be a three-month rental uh, at $300,000 than it is to, to sign him for nothing at $70,000. Um, you know, if the revolution went out and signed him for $70,000, would I be excited by it? Uh, no, but is it a bad move? No. Um, it's just the the equation of what it is now compared to what it was when Montreal went out and traded for him um, is completely different. I, I uh, so fair points on both sides. I think that's those are that's a clear debate. And I think a lot of it for us comes down to the price needs to be right. Um, moving on, uh, we'll move to Gustavo Bo. Uh, we didn't get a lot of Bo questions, which kind of surprised me, but I, I think this game was so frustrating for everyone. They wanted to, uh, really throw shots at Castillo here, but, uh, Gustavo Bo, obviously a big signing. Um, Adam McLean says, who sits for Bo to play? What formation are we thinking? Will we see, uh, uh, what formation are we thinking we will see when he takes the field? Um, Sean, let, let's go there. I, th I think we kind of touched on that earlier. I don't think we're going to see major shifts in the formation and we're kind of guessing at this point, Juan Agadello sits for him. Yeah, exactly. I'm 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 sticking with that for now. I think if the formation stays the same and the the choice at this point would be Juan Aguadelo sits for for Bo. Uh Dave Aikman also asked kind of a similar question if you're playing Bo and Gill in attacking positions behind the out and out striker, do you put Teal or JFC up top? Um that's actually an interesting question because as, as I say I am I'm, I'm questioning whether or not JFC stays longer than this year. Um but I, I think JFC has performed well enough to earn that starting striker role and I think Till Bunbury is very comfortable on the right wing. So I I am I right with that we're not going to see I, I mean I, we just kind of answered that question but No, you, not, you think, not immediately. I mean if 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 Caicedo, you know, gets out of form maybe but right now I think that it, there's not going to be that much of a shift. Cambo six says, will Bo add that edge to the revs that they needed and will make, and will make this, 
let me start again. <clears throat> Gambo six. Will uh, Bo add that edge to the revs that they have needed? And will he make them a playoff team in 2019 and beyond? Yeah, I mean, I, I think he will add the offensive edge the Revolution need. And I think he will make them a playoff team in 2019. I still think they're going to be a you know lower-seeded playoff team and not going to do much damage when they get to the playoffs this year. Um, and as far as beyond... Uh, you know, the Revolution still have all those defensive issues that we discussed, you know, earlier in this podcast. And I think if they're going to be more than a, you know, lower tier playoff team, they need to fix that defense, even, you know, if Gustavo Bo is the, the answer to making their offense even more dynamic. Um, they still have those defensive issues that are going to come back to haunt them um, as the season progresses if they don't fix. So, yes, Bo is, you know, to answer the question the answer to me is yes, he does make them a playoff team in 2019 and beyond, but he doesn't make them a contender alone in 2019 and beyond. And that's an interesting point you have, because I, I think I, I would actually argue this is a playoff team now. And I, I would argue that we thought before the season this was a playoff team. Brad Friedel happened and we thought they weren't. But it looks like they're a, a playoff team. Uh, and Carl, I, I settled in on, on uh, Twitter, said something like, oh, it's almost like they were a playoff team the whole time and they were just being held back by a, a terrible coach. Um, I, I think as time goes on, we kind of see that, you know, this team can go into D.C. United, who's second in the East, and hold their own and, and really should take three points. I mean, D.C. United, who has their fair share of talent all the way around the field, um, they came to New England. They should have lost, but a red card and a PK gave them a draw. New England should have won this game. Red card kind of screws them over. Obviously, there were defensive lapses, but they've gone toe to toe with DC United, who's second in the East, so in both a home and away game. So I don't see why New England is, in its current form, a non-playoff team or a quote-unquote um, a, a low-tier playoff team. I know that's where they are in the standings, but I think they certainly have the talent to be a mid-tier playoff team. And I do think that the addition of Bo um, really adds that extra dimension to. Uh, as Cambo is saying, um, I'll skip ahead to a question by Josh Nye of the Bent Musket. Um, he asked us, do you think the Revs have a shot of making their way up the playoff table? I think that's a for sure yes with Gustavo Bo coming into play. Uh, what do you think, Sean? I, I absolutely do. Absolutely do think that. And like the more I see the revolution under Bruce Arena, the more I kind of like reevaluate my take on where the revolution are going to, to finish or what they're capable of finishing of. Um, I'm still at the point where I, I don't really see them getting above fifth. Um, you know, I look at Atlanta United FC and with the struggles they had with their coach at the beginning, I think that team has way too much talent to be caught by the revolution. I look at the Philadelphia union and, you know, there's still 12 points out of the revs. Um, realistically, I don't think the revolution are going to catch them. I look at DC United and even with this game and, you know, the revolution playing well against them, you know, they're eight points ahead of the revolution. Um, they have a lot of talent. They've not been playing the best right now. You know, they, they were missing Luciano Acosta, Acosta for the, this revolution game. Um, I don't think the revolution are going to catch them. And New York city FC again, has lost two games all season. Um, so, you know, I look at those four teams and they don't really, they still don't seem realistically catchable to me by the revolution. So I think to me, the best realistic case scenario now is fifth where, you know, a few weeks ago, I thought the best realistic case scenario was seventh. Um, so that keeps changing, but I'm still sticking with them being a, you know, a fifth as being the, the kind of the best case scenario. And, you know, fifth still means there's a good chance you get into the playoffs and would have to win four straight road games. That, that is a good point there. I, I will say, too, a lot depends on, as you said earlier, defensive uh, additions. I think if they hold steady with this current defensive line, 
Uh, I, I'm not sure. Yeah, fifth, sixth, seventh might be where they end up. Uh, but I, I think there's certainly a lot of talent to move up in the table. Uh, I think Gustavo Bo makes them a lot more dangerous offensively, and the offense is kind of clicking right now. So if they're able to maintain some consistency, I, I could see us upsetting some teams here and there. Um, and and uh, as I say, a bad coach does a lot of bad things. I think Frank DeBoer is a bad coach. So I, I don't know. I wouldn't be shocked if a team struggles and uh, we push up a little bit further, but fifth sounds about right. Um, I, I should also add that I expect Bruce Arena to bring in a defensive player. It's a very different feeling from uh, years past where we didn't expect Mike Burns to do anything. I think Bruce Arena signing Gustavo Bo shows he, he wants to win this year and in 2020, and he, he wants to win every year. Uh, and I think he's going to look around the league and see um, what veteran players he can bring in uh, and kind of stabilize that back line, even if it's a reserve player to bring off the bench. Uh, I, I think there is no way possible we end um, the, the, the transfer window, the current transfer window, without at least one additional defensive player. That would be shocking if they didn't. I mean, he, he has to bring somebody in back there. He just has to. We, we kind of answered the next question. Uh, nearby Eclipse on uh, uh, Discord asks us, um, what is the most important position the Revs need to address? He says it's a true number eight. Uh, I think we both kind of said we expect a defensive piece, uh, probably a center back, I think is what we agree on. Right, Sean? Yeah, and I I don't disagree that a true number eight would be very helpful to the Revolution, and I, that's a position that I think the Revolution um, in the offseason should look seriously at spending DP money on. Um, but right now, for this season, what they need most, I think, is, is defensive pieces. Yeah, and I, I agree. I think we can get by with our current midfield as is. Um, I think our defense, you know, we're not winning an MLS Cup with this defense. I think that's what it comes down to for me. Um, you know, if you're facing LAFC, can this defense hold them to one goal? I highly doubt it. Um, moving on, uh, G Boyd two one three says, "Is there a week to week conversation to be had about goalkeeper? I thought Turner was fantastic against Colorado, but pretty terrible against DC." Um, we are pro Matt Turner pod. I think we want to preface that right now. Um, I will say it was probably one of Turner's worst performances this season, maybe in his career. Um, he only had three shots to face. Um, I think the Ameriqua one, he wasn't going to save. That was a really tough one. Uh, you know, an unmarked man who kind of deflects the ball last second. That's a bit of a tough one. Maybe he could have charged a little bit further, but I'm not going to put the lot of blame on him. First goal, I think Turner could have done a lot better. Um, it looks like he's kind of cheating to his right and the ball ends up coming right at him and he misses it. Um, he did make one save. That was what medium difficulty I'd say, uh, but decent save. That's, a save. that's a save you kind of expect him to make. So I, I, it was a poor performance. Do I think it's night and time or cropper time? I'm not so sure about that. And, and we, we talked about it last week too. We talked about the expected goals, goal differential and Matt Turner is, you know, way above them in terms of uh, this season, the season's numbers. He had a, a positive number last season. Knighton didn't have a positive number last season. Cropper had a bad number in 2017. Um, so I, I, I know we kind of talked about last week, but uh, Sean, what are your thoughts? Do you think uh, we need some more goalkeeper rotation? No, I, I would echo what you said. And just, you know, that, that first goal for all the crap we give the revolution defense for leaving uh horror wide open. Um, it was a bad shot and Turner should have saved it. Um, he placed it right at him. It was low. Uh, you know, Turner needs to do better on that. And I think, you know, from what we've seen in the past, you'd expect Turner to do better on that. Um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't blame him for the second goal at all. Um, the only other thing I would point out is I didn't think his distribution in this game uh, was very good either. Um, but no, I'm, I'm with you. There's no way I'm switching away from Turner yet. 
Uh, no, agree. Second, everything you said there. Um, we do have one more question from Discord. Uh, Helia's dad asked this, uh, considering tonight was probably the biggest test we've faced under Bruce, how would you say we did? Uh, Sean, why don't you grade that performance by the refs? Um, you know, the first half or the first 42 minutes, I would give an A+. Plus, and then the rest of the game would probably be a, you know, a C or a C-. minus. So I guess overall, maybe I give it a, a B- minus performance grade you know they started off really well they played really good for 42 minutes they you know fell asleep and gave up that you know crappy goal to get dc back in the game and then they played really poorly in the second half um so you can blame the referee all you want for that red card and and call it harsh but they were already playing really poorly before that and the way that game was trending it looked like dc united was going to score a second goal um you know I, i i think you have to to point that out and you have to recognize that the revolution, you know, weren't playing well when that red card happened for whatever reason, they came out of halftime. DC United made adjustments. It looked like they were pressing a bit more and, and causing the revolution difficulty. And, you know, the revolution didn't adjust back to fix that. Um, I think, you know, Seth Makehomer mentioned that maybe the revolution should spring Pania on to try to pin DC back again. I kind of thought that was a good idea. Um, and of course that red card happens and it changes everything. Uh, but you know, it, it's, you, you have to recognize the revolution were playing poorly in that second half before that red card happened. And, um, you know, I think you said the, the revolution deserved a win. Um, I, you know, I would almost say, you know, yeah, the refereeing decision, even if you, you say that was a bad decision, um, the way the revolution were playing anyways, I think that. The, the draw was probably the most likely outcome. Yeah, I, I think you can make a point. The Revs won the first half and DC won the second half. And it's kind of a, you know, both teams had missed chances. Uh, both teams, you know, probably felt cheated a little bit from the refereeing, more so the Revs. But anyway, uh, I, I think overall it was a, I guess, on the whole, a fair result. Um, but I think just the fact we talked about going into Colorado and dominating whistle to whistle, I, I think, you know, having the Revs go into D.C. United, who is a perceived better team, who is, was favored to win the game uh, by the uh, odds makers, um, to go in and kind of put them on the back foot and kind of dominate the first 40 minutes, I think is a still very, very telling, um, uh, just very telling of arena strategy uh, as opposed to Brad Friedel who seemed to be, you know, every road game, it seemed like they were just trying to hold steady and not concede uh, and, and hope, you know, just hope for a, a cheap counterattack goal and, and hold from there on out. Whereas the revs clearly want to be the better team whistle to whistle. Um, and, and I will say too, there's a, a Twitter comment that we have from Andrew J. Uh, not sure what Olsen said at halftime, but DCU came out as clear, the better team revs too easily rattled by a few early chances and things began to spiral happy with the point, but one win against an Eastern conference opponent, uh, won't do it. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I guess I kind of agree. I think that first half goal to conceding right before the first half, I think if they're able to hold, uh, until halftime with a two, nothing lead, I think maybe things are a little bit different, but I think going into halftime, you could tell the game was starting to turn a little bit. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, I think one point is deserved, uh, from, well, it, from standpoint. And, and that's a good point he makes too, that, um, we haven't really talked about is the, the revolutions wins have for the most part come against Western conference teams. So, you, you know, you talk about kind of the proverbial proverbial six pointers when you're facing off against a, a rival that's, 
you know, you're, you're fighting for playoff positioning with, and, and that's where the Revolution have maybe gotten the draw instead of the win, you know, under Bruce Arena and certainly under Brad Friedel, where they probably got the loss in, instead of the win. Um, but, you, you you know, you look at the Revolution schedule, um, their victories came against Minnesota. They did have that win early on against the Red Bulls. I think that's the one Eastern Conference win, and then they beat San Jose. Uh, they beat the Galaxy. They beat Houston. Uh, they beat Colorado. They've they've had a lot more success against Western Conference teams, um, which you know also weighs in when you're thinking about how this team is going to do come playoff time or you know where they're going to end up positionally. Um, it is important to get the three points against you know Eastern Conference teams and prevent those teams from from getting points against you. And um, yeah, it's it's early days yet for Bruce Arena, but um, something to keep an eye on. Gila's dad also asked us, how was our day? Uh, and it's really nice of him, really sweet and considerate for him. My, my day is going great. Thank you for asking, Gila's dad. Sean, how's your day going? Good. I mean, it, we're recording this one early, and it looks like a beautiful, sunny day out. So nothing to complain about here. Yeah, we got to wrap this up. I need to get outside today a little bit. It's a bit hot down here, but um, yeah, just you got to take advantage of the weather, you know? Uh, moving on to final thoughts. Uh, Women's World Cup champions, awesome. Gold Cup not so much. Uh, not really. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. Hate losing to Mexico, but should have won. Should have won. Whatever. But the, the, the one, won. yeah, the one Gold Cup thought I have. Um, fantastic performance by the woman who you know deservedly won, and were obviously the best team of the tournament throughout. The one Gold Cup thought I had is I was much, much more negative on the U.S. national team going into the Gold Cup than their performances in the Gold Cup warranted. I thought they actually, for the most part played better than my extremely low expectations. And even in that final, um, I thought they started that game really well. And, you know, Altidore had a fantastic, there was a long ball played to Altidore where he had a fantastic first touch, beat his defender and did all the hard work and then slotted it wide of the net. But if he scores that, it's a completely different game. Um, the on the, the other note there, though, is the substitutions from Greg Berhalter were uh, a bit interesting and i was not a fan of a guy like zardes coming into that game when the u.s needed to to pull a goal back and, and take an altador out um but i actually left the gold cup more positive than i went into it which probably isn't saying much because i went into it extremely negative yeah i think that's well said and i think to burr i think if you look at it from a results standpoint i think this they matched kind of expectations where you wanted to be i know they lose to mexico in the final but um you know it, it is what it is that happens more often than not, it seems like in the Gold Cup, um, you know, they didn't lose to Jamaica. They didn't lose to Haiti. They didn't lose to one of these uh, weaker sides, although they did have a rough what, one to nothing game against Curacao. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Burhalter has a lot to prove in the uh, upcoming months. And uh, the substitutions certainly were a bit of a head scratcher. But uh, on the flip side, Women's World Cup came through. Uh, the women's team did a great job. Um, I, I have a hypothetical question for you, Sean. So a lot of people after the Women's World Cup are saying that they miss the breakers. They want the breakers to come back. They want the crafts to invest in a women's team. Uh, if you could choose, would you rather bring back the breakers or have a uh, NWSL team, the Revolution Ladies or whatever, a, a, an NWSL team in Boston, or would you rather have a Revs-affiliated USL team? I mean, I, I think both need to happen. Um, but from a selfish standpoint of what would I actually watch more of, um, it would be an NWSL team. Um, but from a revolution standpoint of what do they need to be successful long term, I think a you know USL team is is very important to that. Um, so it's a it's a tough question to answer if you're talking about you know completely neutrally you know what's going to be more beneficial to the 
Boston soccer fan and you're talking about the same amount of money, I think a, you know an NWSL team needs to be in Boston. I think it's you know crazy to have really any professional sports league that doesn't have a team in Boston. Um, but both of those things need to happen. Yeah, they don't have one in Philadelphia either. It's very interesting too. NWSL is very spread out across the country. There's only nine teams. Um, and so, you know, you have a team in Washington and they play, I looked it up, they play in like a 4,000 square uh, uh, seat stadium, um, kind of out in the suburbs. Um, it's kind of interesting that the NWSL, it's not like the WNBA where they work with NBA teams and play in the same arenas and there's a little bit of crossover. Um, I, I think that MLS should work with NWSL and, and kind of, I know the Houston dash play in the same stadium as Houston. I know Portland plays in the same, uh, arena, the, the thorns and the timbers play in the same stadium. Uh, it'd be nice to see some kind of crossover where, you know, because there's no reason why, you know, Philadelphia doesn't have a women's soccer team playing down in Chester. They have a perfectly good uh, soccer stadium that's not really used outside of union games. Um, I think if they're looking at expansion, I think those are some – there are a lot of big cities without NWSL teams that I think you could really expand and grow the game. Um, Ch- Chicago but, also plays in the same stadium as uh, the Fire, which actually probably isn't a great thing for them. <laughs> <laughs> Although the fire getting out of that lease, uh, I think that, that came across the news this week. Um, one other point I want to bring up, uh, and there, we really don't need to dive into it, but I just want to say the CONCACAF World Cup qualifying changes, absolute trash. Uh, and as a uh, dual uh, American-Canadian citizen, I feel like uh, my Canadian people are being heavily discriminated against with these uh, new changes. Um, just absolute garbage changes. Uh, I don't know if you saw that, Sean, or, or if you have a take, but uh, it seems like they want to keep the little guy down and make it harder for the uh, smaller teams that, you know, kind of did did very well in the Gold Cup. Um, you know, Canada, Haiti, all, a bunch of teams kind of rose up and, and kind of showed off their stuff this uh, uh, this Gold Cup. Uh, seems like World Cup qualifying is going to be a lot harder for them. Uh, and anytime you're basing um, World Cup qualifying off of FIFA scores, uh, it's a trash system. So just wanted to get that out uh, before we wrapped up today. I don't like a lot of the late, the recent FIFA changes that really, you know, with the CONCACAF Nations League and all of this stuff that really just make it. So we're going to be seeing the, you know, U.S. play the same teams over and over again a lot more frequently. And, you know, we're really not going to get to see the U.S. play teams from Europe um, outside of the World Cup. Uh, you know, which is disappointing to me. They got rid of the Confederations Cup. They got rid of, you know, opportunities, a lot of opportunities to have friendlies with with teams from throughout the world. Um, and I, you know, I kind of get why they did it to do something more structured. Um, but to me, as a U.S. fan, it's, it, it's disappointing that we're going to be seeing a, a lot less of the U.S. playing different teams and a lot more of the U.S. playing, you know, the same CONCACAF teams. And, you know, it's always fun to see the U.S. play Mexico, but even I think that can be oversaturated. Um, so that, to me, is just overall a, a disappointment in the way, the direction that FIFA is going in. Before we get to your final thoughts, I actually just realized I missed one question. Uh, and it, this is, a, I think, an obvious question, but Dave Aikman asked us, uh, who's our first half MVP for the Revs? Um, and I was thinking about it earlier. Carlos Gil really is the only answer to this question. Uh, and really, if you think about who else on the field has been starting throughout the season, I mean, there's really no, has been no consistent starter. So um, first half MVP, Carlos Gil. Um, second place, Bruce Arena. Uh, I, I, I think that's really the only answer to that question. Any uh, dispute there, Sean? No, there's, there's no argument here. I don't think there's a case to be made for a single other player on the team uh, for, for that for that reward. 
Sorry, such an obvious question. I almost forgot to ask it, but uh, we'll wrap up here. I know we're the second week in a row. We're at about a, an hour and a half. We apologize for the long length time, but it's exciting times uh, with the New England Revolution, uh, obviously with the uh, recent acquisition of Gustavo Bo. I think we've had a lot to talk about over the last two weeks, but uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Revolution Recap and like the Revolution Recap page on Facebook. Please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. Uh, and also please join the uh, Revs Discord Discord page i think i'm calling it right discord um sean i know you're not on it i think that's got to change i think we got to get you in there eventually i'm just saying i know you're i'm just saying we got to recruit you over there buddy but um as i say they they kind of do discussions during uh match games so if you're not a fan of the revs uh, twitter uh hashtag uh or if you're not on twitter uh certainly a good alternative uh but anyway most important thing, though, is leave us a review on iTunes. That's the main point here. Uh, the Revs return home uh, next week for a midweek matchup against the struggling Whitecaps. Vancouver currently sitting in 11th place in the West with 20 points in 20 games. So uh, this is a match where the Revs are looking to take all three points. We'll be back with a new episode next week to break it all down. But until then, thank you, everyone, for listening, and go Revs. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.